With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Hey, this is the Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you're a later there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests. Like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off a uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Seth Hogan, Jeffy Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Richard Steamboat Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month. 
and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Rand. And he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... Well, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was another champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Aster, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did you have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that the title could only be lost by ten or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, vocnation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to WCW Retro. Um... I am your host, Howard Morgan. I'm filling in, again, filling in for uh, Stro Maestro, um, who's still out recovering. Um, and from what I understand, he was able to at least take a couple of steps in his re- rehabilitation facility where he's at. Um, so, you know, that's a little encouraging to hear. We just continue, please continue to pray for Stro as he continues to recover and and we hope to have him back here, you know, just as soon as he's able. And we do miss him. Um, Stro, if you're listening, buddy, we love you. We're praying for you. Um, hope everything gets better. And you know, hopefully you're on your the road to recovery. And I thought I was going to be able to keep this show a little bit on the lighter side and maybe have some fun as we talk about wrestling and the things that go on. And if we get to it, we're going to talk about the worst gimmicks in professional wrestling, whether it's a, a bad character gimmick or a bad gimmick match. Um, but I'm sure as all you, as all of you have heard by now, the sad news of the passing of the iron sheet, um, just, you know, a, a tremendous performer and entertainer from at least my, my generation. I started watching wrestling back in the early eighties. Um, and my first memories of the Irish Sheik, um, I guess it was his second run in the WWF. Um, we all know, or you know, should know by the time that he beat Bob Backlund for the uh, WWF heavyweight title. And I remember 
as a young 11, 12-year-old boy thinking, how in the world could this guy represent the World Wrestling Federation? I couldn't stand anything about him. I mean, he was just despised. He hated America. He you know, wanted to do everything to just disgrace America. I mean, it just to me, it just wasn't fair. And I remember interviews that he's had backstage with Gene Oakland, who obviously we know went by the nickname Mean Gene Oakland, except the Iron Sheik would call him Gene Mean um, to further play on his, um, I guess, inability to translate the um, English language. Uh, but before we dive any deeper into the career of the Iron Sheik, um, being joined tonight by a very special guest tonight, um, and he's one of the probably one of the greatest promoters, managers in pro wrestling today is Chaz Moretti. Chaz, welcome to WCW Retro. How are you doing tonight, brother? Well, Howard, happy to have to have me on board. I appreciate you having me on the show tonight. Uh, thank you for that marvelous introduction. And it's true, I am the number one manager in all <laughs> professional wrestling. I could care, I can care that much okay. less. About anybody that's out there trying to copy me, cosplay me, pretend to be me, because they can't. And I don't care who they are. Don Callis, I'm talking to you. You wear all the suits you want. It's not my fault you lost your hair. It's not my fault you lost your persona. <laughs> you're no longer the jackal. It was a terrible gimmick to begin with. Now you're out there trying to be me. You ain't going to be me, son, no matter how hard you try. And to that little pipsqueak rookie at Powell Entertainment that's trying to be me, Guess what, son? You're next. <laughs> well, no, let's keep it back. lighter. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> well, brother, you don't have to worry about me. I got zero filter on my mouth. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, as you've heard, you know, the, the passing of the Honor Sheik, you know, and as I learned more about pro wrestling and, you know, quote, unquote, the business, never really, I've never been into business, but, you know, I followed it you know, for the last 40-plus years, um, just what an unbelievable character he was. And, you know, in a time when guys really had to make you believe they who, you know, they were who they said they were. You know, we think of, you know, Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and all those old-school guys that when they gave a promo, they, you know, and they were staring at the camera, they were almost staring a hole, you know, Right, right through you and, and engrossing you in what was going on, and you know the Iron Sheik, you know, you know had to be one of those guys that that did it for you. I mean, he sold tickets. He, you know, he was hated everywhere he went. He was booed, and you know, it, it just seemed like no matter what he did, um, you know, it, it sold. You know, his his gimmick sold. You know, he was just a, a larger than life personality. Um, yeah, do you have any direct, you know, interactions with the Iron Sheik or any memories of the Iron Sheik? Oh, a lot of memories, but I never had the I never had the pleasure of meeting the man uh, at all. It was one of the it was one of the rare few that um, we never crossed paths. But I mean, it, you go back as far God as far as I can remember, you go back to to Christmas uh, to Boxing Day, 1983, when he took the title off of Bob Backlund. And you know it was it was unheard of. No one, no one figured the Iron Sheik to beat Backlund. I mean, especially in Madison Square Garden, Backlund was on a, a six-year run, and 
it was just, I mean, that night when we watched it on MSG Network, it just looked like a, another routine defense for Bob, even though his neck was injured and, you know, his back was hurting from uh, that incident with the Persian clubs. No one ever figured him to, to lose the Iron Sheik. But, you know, the, the Sheik was believable. I mean, the guy was a, a former amateur wrestler, AAU champion. I mean, he was uh, that close to the Olympics. I mean, you know, you had the, then you had all the upheaval in Iran. And I mean, you know, he he took that he took that pulse of of modern culture at the time, and he ran with it. And I mean, you know, you literally sat there watching him, believing that at any one time he'd be having lunch with the Ayatollah. I mean, you believed everything that came out of his mouth, everything that he did, was carefully measured and and, uh, and ultra believable. And the, the guy could wrestle, and if he wanted to hurt you, he could hurt you. You know, there was a uh, I remember hearing a story about him back training for Vern Gagne in the AWA, and Billy Robinson tried to take uh, liberty with him, and uh, and the Sheik called him on it. He defended himself, and he called him on. It. He said, you know, he said, how can you call yourself a teacher and you want to take advantage of your students? So, I mean, no, you know, yeah, the Sheik absolutely. Was, the Sheik was and, definitely one of a kind. Yeah, definitely one of a kind. You know, I don't think we'll ever see anybody like him again you know you can call it controversial or or whatever but like you said with that whole upheaval in the middle east and you know the the iranian hostage situation it was really one of the really first stories storylines that i remember where you know real life you know art was imitating real life you know in the wrestling ring you know here was this you know iranian you know was spitting on america and you know, we had all that nonsense going on, you know, in the Middle East and in Iran. And, you know, how, how could you even, you know, like this guy? And I thought a lot of times, like, this guy's not getting out of the out of the arena, you know, with his life intact. Somebody's going to kill him. And, you know, this was, you know, well before, you know, all the security measures that are taken now. I mean, you know, we hear stories, especially from the old Mid-South and, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling and all them times when, Guys would get, you know, stuck with needles and, and knives and glass bottles and, you know, and, and, the, and the sheik, would, you know, was, was right in there with it. And, you know, he he fed into it. He made me believe it. He, you know, he, he really did, you know, have it all, you know, his, his, his ability to deliver a promo, you know, and you're thinking, man, this guy, this guy can't, you know, formulate two words together. Um, just, you know, just a, a really – you know, tremendous talent, you know, and like you said, great amateur background. Um, one of the, you know, we, we use it a lot in in the business when we talk about old school guys. He was a legitimate tough guy. He's not one of them guys you would want to, you know, upset not, at a bar or a diner or, or anywhere. Right. But not only that, but he was a legit businessman. I mean, he yes. had loyalty for the promoters that he worked for while he was working for them. You know, he had loyalty to Vern Gagne for being his trainer and for getting him involved in professional wrestling and basically giving him a life here in the United States. Um, you know, he was loyal to the Mayavias out in Hawaii when he worked for them at Polynesian Pro. He was loyal to Vince McMahon Sr. I mean, you know, he, Gagne had paid him, offered to pay him, what, quarter of a million dollars to to bust Hogan's leg and not drop the title, bring it back to the NWA and they'll destroy it. And he didn't do it. I yeah, mean, I mean, the Sheik was a man. Of, the Sheik was a man of honor, first and foremost. And it, yeah, it's I, rare in the business. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, when we 
when we talk about guys in the business, you know, whether they were they were heels or baby faces, you know, and, and I mean, I, you see it. I mean, it does really come down to how loyal are you? You know, are are you my guy? You know, you know, while you're here, you know, and, and I, I felt like the Sheik was that. He wasn't going to do anything to compromise his position, to betray whatever company, whether it be big or small, you know, that he worked for. So, you know, the, the guy did have a lot of honor and integrity, you know, everywhere he went. And, you know, just, just an all-around, you know, wonderful guy to, to you know, to, I, you know, that I had the privilege of watching and, and you know, growing up, you know, as, like I said, as, as a young teen, watching him and just, you know, I, I've seen him live a couple of times at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. And, you, and you know, the the crowd there was just, like, you know, the, you felt like the roof was going to come off. Was, Spectrum sat about, I don't know, 15, 17,000 people, something like that. And for a wrestling event, I mean, it was packed and it was loud. And, you know, the fans let you know how they felt. You know, back in the day, they would throw garbage into the ring, soda, you know, soda cups and trash and, you know, and everything else. It's just, you know, again, a larger-than-life character. And, you know, the, the, the wrestling business, is, you know, will, will ever have a hole to be filled. And I don't think will ever be filled, you know, with the Iron Sheet passing. And like I said, I remember watching – Arnold Scullin throw the towel in, you know, and, and, you know, begging him not to it. And it almost seemed like a slow motion as the towel was coming in and, and, you know, landing on the mat. And you're like, wow, this, like you said, this was Madison square garden. This was just another title defense for Bob Acklin. He was going to go on to, you know, what we thought at the time was many, many more, you know, title defenses. And it was unheard of to have a, a foreigner like, like this, win, you know, the WWF heavyweight title, you know, and, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, of course the whole incident with him and Hacksaw, Jim Duggan um, in New Jersey, I don't know if they were on their way to, to Philly or back to New York, you know, getting pulled over in the same car. And, you know, back when kayfabe was still, you know, a thing that guys tried to protect, they, you know, they, they kind of goofed a little bit and they, you know, they, maybe shouldn't have been driving together or, or whatever, but who would have thought they would have gotten pulled over um, and, you know, kind of started to break down that, that wall between, you know, you know, fact and fiction, you know, if you will. Um, but yeah, just a great, you know, all around performer, you know, no matter where he went, you know, he sold tickets. He, he did everything. His, his matches with Sergeant Slaughter, um, you know, were, were fantastic matches. And I thought, didn't they have to relocate a pay-per-view between him and Sergeant Slaughter? And I guess in the, that time it was, you know, general, or was that it? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to remember what had happened. Was it when Slaughter was a heel? I can't remember exactly what the, the parameters were, but I remember them have, you know, legitimately being scared that, you know, the Irish Sheik and them were, you know, in the same building. 
um, and they had to like, kind of scale down and um, relocate their, their pay-per-view or event they were having. They were, I think they were in an open stadium. They wound up having to go to a, a, a stadium with a, with a roof on it. But, again, I don't remember yeah. all of the particulars about that. But, man, either, what but a, what no, a I remember hearing the story, though. You know, it, it really just seemed like it, it came out of nowhere. Like, I don't remember ever hearing him being sick or, you know, battling. I mean, you know, he's he's battled some of his demons, you know, all of his life. But, you know, it seemed like he was, you know, but, you know, you know, better. And, you know, he had – he was on a couple of different podcasts. And he would tell you exactly what he thought of Hulk Hogan. He made no bones about that. Um you know how he, you know how he felt about him, and you know maybe rightfully so. Um, you know, but the Iron Sheik was definitely a character. You know, no matter where he went, um, or you know what he did, he was he was always in and around, you know, controversy, and he and he, and he thrived in it. And, and I believe that's what sold the tickets. That's what made him, you know, marketable. Was was his ability, you know, to be able to do that, um, you know, and and definitely, you know, the, the world is is you know, going to miss, especially the world of professional wrestling is going to miss, um, you know, the Iron Sheik. And, you know, we just continue to pray for his family as they work through this and, you know, his, his wife and children, um, you know, but just, a, a, you know, an awesome talent. I remember him beating Barry Windham, him and Nikolai Volkov beat Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo again. I didn't think that was going to happen. At, at, I believe it was the first WrestleMania. You know, they, they beat the U.S. Express at that time. And, and again, that was just another title defense for Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda and, you know, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik came out, you know, the victors and, and took home the gold that night. And, you know, what, you know, what a shock that was. I, I wouldn't call it an upset, but you know, what a, you know, what a great time it was. And what a great time to be in and around wrestling, you know, was, you know, the, I've, I've said it on this podcast and another one that there's no better time in wrestling I believe than from probably the early 80s to right right around 1990 92 ish I think it was probably the the best wrestling that you know we've seen on you know on television and I don't know that I'll ever it will ever get back to to that glory and that that amount of storytelling and passion and and what have you you know um but I just you know I you know I'm going to miss him um, he was, you know, a great entertainer, and it just seems like right on the heels of us losing superstar Billy Graham, you know, I I texted a, a friend of mine earlier. It's like, you know, our whole childhood of wrestling is is starting to pass away because you know, got, obviously the guys are getting older. They were 30, 40 years old when when I watched them, you know, 40 years ago, and now they're they're old men, and you know they're they're starting to pass on. It's just you know sad that my childhood is kind of passing away. Yeah. yeah no, I, I agree with you. I mean, but you, you got to look at it too. You know, take a look at who we've got left that should, that we should appreciate before they actually pass on guys like Bob Backlund, Greg Gagne, Don Morocco. And there's a number of guys, Terry Taylor. You want to talk about being Terry Taylor with a terrible gimmick? Come on. Oh, Terry yeah, Taylor was yeah, a well, standout in mid South. <laughs> comes to the WWF and they, they stick him with the gimmick that they thought was going to embarrass him. And he made something out of that too. That's the mark of a work. He made it work. That's a mark of a professional. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I remember he watching he, he, he didn't have Terry to go Taylor. And, he, he didn't have to go and do 
anything that that would diminish his his true persona, and he didn't have to go and, and worry about anyone else coming along, because Terry Taylor was Terry Taylor. You know, you had a number of guys yeah, in the eighties that all wore they all wore similar style robes because that was the fashion. It, it wasn't you know uh, it, it wasn't for one person or another. It was the fashion. I mean, you right. had guys like Flair, Greg Valentine, uh, Rick Rude, uh, Manny Fernandez, Dusty on occasion, Terry uh, Taylor, Orndorf. Orndorf, DiBiase. I mean, these were guys that all at one time or another were Buddy Landell. We're all wearing basic carbon copies of, of each other's robes with different, but with different styles to it, though. So, I mean, that's what, to me, that's what made it look cool. And then, to me, that's what made it, that's what kept their originality. I mean, you didn't see, no, I, I, you didn't see Greg Valentine wearing a robe with butterflies on it. But then again, you didn't see... Right. Rick Flair, Buddy Landell, or Terry Taylor, or, or Rick Rude wearing a robe with broken hearts on it. They just didn't do it. I mean, you know, right, it was, the, it was right. a respect and a professionalism that that made that time and made that era special. I mean, do they, they say now that, uh, you know, we're in an age of, of entitlement and we're in an age where uh, God forbid you should get upset about something because then you're the bad guy or or or, or you're making a lot out of nothing or, or whatever. But, I mean, at some point it boils down to where is the professionalism? Where is the respect? I mean, if it's gone forever, it's gone forever. And then maybe I'll make a decision to choose to be a part of it any longer. You know, and that's fine. And you know what? I'm not... I'm not so self-absorbed to understand or to believe that um, the sport wouldn't go on without me. It's going to go on without anybody. No matter who we are, it's going to go on without you. Are you going to be remembered? Maybe. Are you going to be um, remembered by those that recognized and understood and and appreciated your talent? Probably. Um, Are you going to be forgotten by the majority? Yeah, within six months. Okay, everybody's upset about the Sheik, and rightfully so. Everybody's upset about superstar Billy Graham, and rightfully so. Uh, lesser people, lesser amounts are upset about Beverly Shade, who was an absolute legend, who's recently passed. Six months from now, ask the average fan, the average modern fan, who is Beverly Shade? Couldn't tell you. Right. Who's Wayne Coleman? Couldn't tell you. It's just the way it is. Yeah. It's a hard, no, it's a yeah, hard truth and a hard reality, and and I'm I'm um, I'm going to be honest. I'm struggling with it right now because it ain't right. It's right. not right. You well, can have you know, influences, even, but don't go ripping people off. Right, and even you know, you know, to, to, to that note, you know, there there are you know superstars, I'll call them, that have passed, and we we think of them fondly. But you know, I remember when. Um, Trent Acid passed, what, 2009, 2010? Like, yeah. n- nobody knew who he was. I'm like, how do you how do you not, like, are you just so, you know, and listen, you can watch one particular, you know, wrestling program, and, and that's fine, but you have to know kind of what's going on out, outside of that. So when these guys come into, you know, the, what I'll call the big leagues, I don't want to underscore any other, you know, independent promotion, but, you know, the, back then it was, you know, WWF, WCW. 
Um, now it's, you know, it looks like it's WWE and, you know, AEW. Um, you know, so when these guys come in, you know, you, you know who they are and you're like, yeah, oh, you know, this guy's not, you know, an overnight sensation. He's been, he's been working 20 plus years to get to where he's at today. And like you said, a, a lot of these, you know, independent, you know, performers, you know, pass and it's, it's just a blip on, you know, somebody's social media page. And if you're not following them, you know, like you said, they, they're, they're there for, you know, a couple of seconds and, and, and we move on. But yeah, you know, basically and, 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 and obviously, yeah. And obviously this, you know, some deaths hit harder than others, obviously, but you know, it doesn't diminish what I, and I don't care what, you know, and I remember Art Anderson talking about, um, I think it was Jamie Newble. They were in a bar and Art Anderson and Jamie Noble happened to be together. And, um, a couple of guys were, you know, making fun of Jamie Noble for being a jobber, you know, and, and not that good, you know, oh, you know, he loses every night, blah, blah. And Art Anderson kind of stepped up to him and said, listen, this guy makes me look good every single night he's out there. You know, if he doesn't do what he does, Art Anderson can't do what he does, you know? So, you know, no matter what your, your level of expertise or, you know, stardom is, you know, this is a business, you know, and guys are literally, you know, paying with their, with their blood, sweat and tears, um, you know, to, to try to get to, to where they want to be. And like you said, it, it, it does come down to, you know, being, you know, uh, you know, being honorable, having integrity, you know, back to, you know, back to, you know, a handshake in your word is, is good enough. I don't need a contract. I'm going to, Hey, I'm, I'm going to show up. I'll be there on whatever it is, you know, July 4th at your big event. I'll be there. And you know, I'm going to be there. Well, you, um, you, but, you, you know, listen, you, you've listened to hard times before, right? You've listened to Dusty's promo, right? Absolutely. Do you know there was a partner where he's shooting on promoters and shooting on the business? Want me to tell you what it was? No. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> The lines where he said, there's no honor. There's no honor among thieves in the first place. That's a shoot on the business. That's a shoot on every shady promoter, every unprofessional, quote-unquote, worker that he ever had the misfortune of having to deal with. Now, he directed it at Ric Flair as part of a promo. Look at it closer. There's no honor in the first place. There's no honor among thieves. I'm going to have to go back that's and listen ugly. to that now because for all this time, I'm thinking, that's you know, again, being a wrestling business, fan. Yeah, you know, and, and being a fan of, of wrestling, I'm thinking, you know, there's no honor among things. I'm thinking of, you know, the four horsemen, you know, having to steal everything that they have and, and really, you know, the, the stereotypical bad guys of the business. I never – I'm going to have to listen to it a little more closely and, you know, with with, with a little more, you know – education now than, than I had before and, you know, really listen to what he says. Cause that was a, I mean, that was a great promo. I mean, again, it goes down and probably one of the top three promos, you know, in the business, you know, to this day, I don't think, you know, there's, you can't find better promos than, than, you know, the hard times one. And I, you know, I, I remember um, Jim Cornette when he was running OVW would make his performers watch that promo and say, you know, I don't want you to, to, to play this, but yeah, yeah, yeah just be, be organic, be you, right? Be you, and I, I mean, think now in, 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 in the world, let's, let's 
let's call a spade a spade. I've had influences. You take a look at my wrestling persona, which I don't know, depends on what day it is, can be somewhat different or not that different at all from my regular persona. Okay, whatever, that's just truth. Um, right. There are seven different influences in my persona. But I never took anybody's jacket. I never took anybody's look. I never took anybody's poses. I never copied anybody's promos verbatim. Everything I do is organic. Everything I do has an originality to it. And if it, and as Aaron said, if it if if it's tooting my own horn, then toot toot. But the truth right. is the truth. <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, here, and, and a lot of these kids, a lot of these kids, they have, um, they have, uh, they get, they wonder and they get upset and they, and they, they're like, well, why am I not signed and why am I not doing this and why am I not doing that? Well, when you're five foot eight, 172 pounds, and you're wearing a pair of long tights or a pair of biker shorts and kick pads and the same type of knee pads and, uh, you're going out there uh, in your mind's eye, oh, God, I'm CM Punk. Where's the originality? What's going to set you apart? Okay, but I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like Kevin Owens's gear. I think it looks cheap. I think it looks indie-rific. But I'm going to give the guy credit. He's a hell of a worker. And he's him. Absolutely. Okay, so if he's worn, he, if he's right, worn he's that gear, <laughs> if he's worn that gear, since his days on the indie circuit, and he's made it, he's made bank on it at the highest level you can get. I may not like it, but I gotta respect it. The guy's original. Absolutely. Okay. The originality is what's originality is what is sorely lacking in our great sport today, and you know, and, and for lack of a better term, my wife will say it to her dying breath. It's not the great sport we love. Not anymore. No, it's, and that's just no, it's not. It's, no, absolutely. There is, you know, like I said, I get mad at her about the, it because I, I think she's just, you know, spouting off, but thousand percent right. Yeah. No, there, there's no, thousand? you know, there's no originality. There's no, hey, this guy's, we've never seen this before. You know, we've never seen that look before. Everybody's trying to imitate you know, somebody else, but, you know, there, there can only be one Ric Flair. There can only be one Dusty Rhodes. You know, there can only be one Iron Sheik. And like you said, you can Agreed. take bits and pieces of it, you know, and and take a piece of the Iron Sheik and, and take, a you know, a, a piece of Dusty Rhodes and, and kind of weave it into your character. But it's got to be your character because if I don't believe it, I'm not coming to see it. Like, if I don't believe that, that Chaz Moretti is, the, is, you know, the, the greatest promoter, Maybe people think you're a loud mouth or maybe they love you to death. But if I don't believe that, if I don't feel that, I'm not buying a ticket to your show. I'm going to be honest because there's what, what am I going to I'm going to see the same stuff that I'm seeing, you know, that I'm getting inundated with, you know, 20 some hours a week on TV. There's there's no no originality there. And that's and that's what that's what sells tickets. You know, and the thing is, Howard, I'm not a promoter. I'm a manager. I'm an agent. But I take. I take what I do seriously, and I put a lot of passion into it, and I'm not well-liked. Okay, there's a lot of people that don't like me, and that's okay. 
they don't have to like me. My wife doesn't like me three quarters of the time. In fact, you want to laugh here. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring down the the curtain a little bit. We'll break the fourth wall a little bit. Um, if you take a look at my wife's last name on Facebook, okay, that'll give you an that'll give you a hint. There was a long time, and it's still occasional, where Chaz Meredith's not allowed in our house for obvious reasons. Chaz Meredith is impossible right. to live with. Okay, but he doesn't. But he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care, right? Because he's got the money and the means and the power to represent his clients, to get his point across, to show you a look that you maybe want to have, maybe can't stand, but it's his. Okay, you hear, you hear the opening strains of Frank Sinatra's "Nothing But the Best." that I've been using for 13 years, you know it's me. Right. Good, bad, or otherwise. But this isn't about me. This is about everybody else. I mean, how many guys are being forced down our throats on television week in and week out that you wouldn't pay 10 bucks to see if they weren't in the E? Be honest. Right. Or in AEW. There are guys, yeah, where, you know, it reminds me of the scene out of Major League, you know, when they were introducing the new roster of, of the Cleveland Indians, and they're like, who the frig are these guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right? yeah, that was a great movie. But, yeah, you're right. They were they were just a bunch of nobodies, and nobody wanted to, to come see them play until they started winning, until you started believing in them. You know, exactly. to, to they got to be guys you could get behind, and like you said, exactly. whether whether the, whether whether your fans hate you or love you, that's what gets yeah, them into what, the building. What, let's let's go to other gimmicks that some people think now. You know, God forbid, the current day and age, you couldn't have the gimmicks we had back in the seventies and eighties. Impossible. Okay. Oh no way. No one would ever allow anybody to dress as a Nazi. So is that a bad gimmick? It is now. It wasn't back then. Um, no, it wasn't, no. Okay. Was Wahoo or Chief J. Strongbow or uh, uh, Billy Bold Eagle or the Young Bloods or any of the, under, any of the other, we'll say it both ways, Native American or Indian gimmicks, um, were they infringing on each other? No. Why? Because every chief, every warrior – could have been part of a tribe, could have been part of a larger nation. It was believable. Let's take a look right, at the Cowboys. Exactly. Okay, let's take a look at the Cowboys, the Funks, the Ortons, um, Outlaw Ron Bass, Don Bass, Cowboy Bob Ellis, Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, the Blackjacks. And we'll include Barry Windham, we'll include Kendall, we'll include... Bradshaw, before he broke out of out of before he broke out of that persona and went more mainstream. Okay, they were all cowboys, outlaws, whatever you want to call them, black barts. But what made them believable? What made them original? Even though they were wearing a lot of the same things, it, it could be possible that they were part of a larger group. So the originality was still oh, there. It was up to them to, to carve right. out a, a persona within that 
within that larger subsection. Absolutely. And somewhere along you know, the line, it, we it, had it to goes, reinvent the. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. No, it, no. It goes back. You know, your, your Cowboys scenario. You look at. You know, listen. There was there was only one outlaw named Jesse James. He was one of a kind. But you had Billy the Kid, who was also an outlaw. You know, two totally different people. Both cowboys, both outlaws. You know, you had you know Wyatt Earp. You know, you had you ever you see know, Doc Holliday you and all those them? guys. Yeah. Um, you saw the movie with the, with Gene Hackman and and uh, and Russell Crowe and and um, and uh, about the about the uh, the gunfight about the uh, the fast draw tournament. What the hell yes. is it called? Uh, the Quick and the Dead. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. How many different characters did you have in that movie? All cowboys. <laughs> oh, and one Indian uh, yeah, who couldn't get killed by a bullet. Right. Yeah. All of them believable. Yeah, I mean, but all of them. Different. Every one of them. Am yeah, I saying? Yeah, yeah, here, am, I, am I saying that I have the exclusive domain uh, on wearing um, on wearing uh, a suit to the ring? Absolutely not. I'm saying don't cosplay people. It's not right. No, it's not. No, I mean, not at all. And it's not only nowadays. It happened back then. Bobby Heenan was going to tear Percy Pringle's head right off his neck for copying his look down to the blonde hair. I mean, did, did he get? Did, did Mr. Moody get over as Percy Pringle? No, not as much as he did as Paul Bearer. Why? Uh, yeah, yeah, nowhere was near more natural. Because Paul Be- Percy Pringle was a terrible gimmick. Paul Bearer wasn't. Why? Because it was original. It was more in line with his true persona. I think I was a mortician, for God's sake, away from the ring. Right. It was, a, yeah, a real mortician, yes. So it fed into it. So it, right. So it, it, and it worked for him because it was believable. It was believable. You know, of, and, you know. Over the years, how many sets of Hollywood blondes have we had? Okay. <laughs> Let's go back. Buddy Roberts was part of the Hollywood Blondes. Did Buddy get over as the Hollywood Blondes? Huh, not as much as he did as a Freebird. Right. Okay. <laughs> Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Great team. Did they get over as the Hollywood Blondes? Not as much as they did individually as Brian Pillman, the loose cannon, and stone cold Steve Austin. Even stunning right. Steve yeah, Austin. Yeah, and- Right, yeah, yeah. Stunning Steve Austin did not get over as much as Stone Cold did. You know, uh, you know, arguably probably one of the greatest performers of of our time. You know, and you know he was he was floundering the, in WCW. The great, right. Let's take a look at the Green Englishman, and we're going to include the midgets: Lord Layton, Lord James Blears, Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, Sky Lolo. Uh, who else? Uh, Lord Whipper Littlebrook. Watson, Lord Littlebrook, Whipper Watson. Um, who else were we going to talk about in there? Uh, Billy Robinson, to a degree, but Billy Robinson didn't didn't use the aristocracy. Billy Robinson was the common man. Uh, Tony right. St. Clair, who's a legend, was the common man. Another legend that that's a mentor of mine that I will always back up, no matter what people say. And Ricky Knight. Absolute freaking legend. 
the common man, the commoner from England, who's a loyalist, by the way. Okay. <laughs> How did you have so many lords, so many counts, uh, so many barons in professional wrestling? But yet each one was unique. Okay, you you mentioned the name Baron Cicluna. What comes to mind if you're a real wrestling fan? His cape. Yeah, I was just say yeah. Wow. Let's talk about the German barons for a second. Baron von Raschke, Baron von Hess, Wawel von Erich, Fritz von Erich, all German Nazi aristocracy, barons. Almost all of them used the Iron Claw. What made them different? It was believable that they were part of a larger group. Yeah, because there are, you know, I mean, you look throughout history, you know, how many, you know, how many, you know, English noblemen did we have? How many German barons did we have? You know, I mean, just go back to, you know, the First and Second World War. I mean, you literally had hundreds of them running around mm-hmm. England and, and, and Germany and Europe. So, yeah, it was believable that these guys could be a part of one of those particular groups over there. Now, let's take a look at, Let's take a look at the managers. Okay. Uh, Paul Jones, tuxedo. James J. Dillon started out with a tuxedo, moved to business suit. Gary Hart, business suit. Jimmy Hart, outlandish musical and jacket steamed to the people that he was working with. Jim Cornette, outlandish color sets that no one else would use or get away with. With his suits. Right. <laughs> Arnold Skolin, basic 70s leisure suit. Bobby Heenan. Depends on where he was and what era it was. He went from wearing uh, a sweater with a, with his name embroidered in rhinestones, his, his initials embroidered in rhinestones that he wore forever, uh, a satin baseball jacket, sequence jackets. When he first started out, he wore... 60 suits that were in style at the time, complete with the crisscross bow tie. Okay. Each one of those different evolutions of his character never deviated from the fact that he was Bobby Heenan. He started out as pretty boy Bobby Heenan, went to Bobby the Brain Heenan, stayed there the whole time. No matter where he went, he was Bobby Heenan. No matter where he went, the Heenan family went with him. Okay. Now, let's right. Sandor Akbar, Sheik Adnan L. Casey, who was also a Native American gimmick at one time, Billy White Wolf. <laughs> okay. What everybody didn't know was that Adnan legitimately was part of the ruling class of Iraq, childhood friends with Saddam Hussein. Never lost yes, a match in Iraq that. because yeah. never lost a match in Iraq because Saddam had a side pistol. That was going to ensure it. Saddam was prepared to put a bullet in Andre the Giant's head. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember hearing that on, on, on one of, I don't know if it was Read one of book. the biographies or. Read yeah, his I, book. It's in the unbelievable. book. Unbelievable. Okay. Skandar Akbar. All right. All these Arabs that were in the business, what made them believable? Part of a larger subsection. So what I'm saying is. Is it gimmick infringement 
to dress similarly to somebody else? No, I'm not saying that. And that's where people misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you go out there like Percy Pringle did and you copy a man's persona down to the pose, the clothes, the hairstyle, the glasses, the look, and you're going to copy a guy right down to his pose, you, my friend, are unprofessional and disrespectful. And Pringle got put in his place by Bobby Heenan. And am I afraid to do the same? No, I'm not afraid to do the same. I don't care what the repercussions are. I don't care who likes me or doesn't like me. The truth is the truth. Okay, look at the yeah, girls. No, I, look, 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 at the, look at the female wrestlers. I, I hate to say it. What separated the Jumping Bomb Angels, Bull McConnell, Dump Matsumoto, Royal Matsumoto, Kana slash Asuka, what separated them from every other Yoshi that came down the pipe and it's still there being forced down our throats that look exactly the same? How many freaking Sailor Moons are we going to look at? Yeah. No, you, yeah Before you, you don't care. Okay. I'm unpopular in this in this opinion. I don't care. I'm I'm being called a crybaby. I'm being called a a, a whiner. I'm being called uh, oh, uh, you're self-absorbed. How could you think like this? How can I think like this? Because I've been out here for 13 years, busting my ass worldwide. But That's but you're why. doing it as you. <laughs> you're not doing it as a as a. Bobby Heenan ripoff or a Paul Orndorff wannabe or, 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 you know, or anything like that. You're, look at my contemporaries that are dressed similarly to me. One of them is better than I am. Okay. Matt Robles is the best manager in the United States today, bar none. I'm not. I like to call myself number two or part of the top five. But I'm definitely not the best manager in the United States right now. The MK Bandit, Matt Robles, is the best manager in the United States. And what does he wear? Where's a three-piece suit with a tie? Or he wears a Louis Vuitton jumpsuit, uh, track jacket, track suit. But it still makes him the MK Bandit. Okay? We've worked together. We've worked against each other. You know, me in the shinier jacket and him in the business suit. But we're different. You're different, you can't right. mistake the MK Bandit for Chaz Moretti. You can't mistake Sylvester Fox for Chaz Moretti. I don't walk around with a golf club. I don't do what Sly does. I don't talk like him. I don't promo like him. Okay? Nigel Rabbit, another great manager. Nigel Rabbit wears, the, wears a, a suit. But Nigel Rabbit is different. Nigel Rabbit is English aristocracy, again. Nigel Rabbit wears a soccer scarf around his neck. Why? Because it makes sense. It separates him. It makes him Nigel Rabbit. Okay? Can there be other managers wearing suits? Yes, they can. But don't go repose, bro. That's not cool. Right. Anybody that can own that. Like you said, well, even, you know, as – as he passed, like you said, this business is going to continue to run, continue to sell tickets, you know, and there's going to continue to be managers that wear suits to the ring. And, you know, it, it, and again, as long as it's not, 
you know, like I said, a um, um, a Bobby Heenan suit or a J.J. Dillon suit or, or a Paul Jones tuxedo, and you're not trying to imitate him, um, then, yes, by all means, you know, wear a suit. Wear a suit. If, that, if that's part of who you are, then wear a suit. <laughs> Agreed. If you're not Polynesian, if you're not Hawaiian, if you're not Asian, Japanese, then don't dress like that. You look stupid. Okay? Right. Captain Lou Albano, who I have a great admiration for, when he was managing the Samoans and dressed up in similar, dressed up similarly to them, including uh, including the uh, the Japanese Samoan pants at the time with the knee patches on there, going out without boots, going out wearing uh, flips, wearing flip-flops. He looked stupid. Captain Lou with his rubber because band. Because it wasn't him. Right. Captain Lou with rubber band wearing, wearing his cut-off shirt with his picture embroidered on it, his name on the back, and a pair of black pants and boots or shoes or whatever, gym shoes. That was Captain Lou. I mean, here, Robert Stone, great example of a manager. And his gimmick is the suit guy. And he pulls it off wonderfully. Right. Okay. But he's original. How can you get mad at this guy? He's original. Does he do a, uh, does he do, yeah. does he, does he, does he do the, um, the quote-unquote agent's part? Yeah, but he doesn't call himself an agent. His suits are impeccable. Love them. Okay. Um, let's take a look. Let, let's take a look at Don Callis. Well, I had a great admiration for is the jackal. And whether or not you lose your hair as you get older is irrelevant. Had he stayed in that jackal persona, and didn't, if he didn't use the name because the name was trademarked, that's fine. But if he stayed in that jackal persona, he's still original. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I not. loved him as the jackal. No, he's not. I, 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 he was wonderful as the jackal. You know, the guy was uh, yeah. I mean, here, Raven. Raven, Seattle Grunge. Okay? That's Raven. The headbanger. You mean it's not Johnny Seattle Polo? Grunge. You, you, couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't pass off Raven as Johnny Polo wearing a sweater around mm-hmm. his neck and carrying a golf club? <laughs> I don't know. Could you, could you put the. Um, could, you, could you believe Chavo Guerrero Jr. wearing that? Oh, jeez. He's actually on my list of, of, of bad gimmicks. <laughs> and, and coming out the swing music? Did you believe that one? How, uh, how many mass yeah, wrestlers just, have there been? How many mass wrestlers have there been since 1950? Over a hundred? Two hundred? Did you ever see anybody? Yeah, I would mask? say probably. No, not at all. Did they wear similar styles? Maybe. I mean, but they're did some of them have horns on the side and and you know outlandish looks? Yeah, but they were still unique. Ultimo Dragon was Ultimo Dragon. Thunder Liger was Thunder Liger. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, 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 yeah, you stole stole words out of my mouth. <laughs> El Santo, Mil Mascaras, the man of a thousand masks. Okay. Eddie Guerrero is the black, the black tiger. Chris Benoit, the Pegasus Kid, the Blue Blazer, 
Art Barr, who finally made it to the big time, in my opinion, as the American love machine. All different. What makes a good gimmick separate from a bad gimmick? Originality. My opinion. And again, it may not be a popular opinion, and that's okay. And and I'm glad I've got this platform to vent a little bit because I'm going to get it out once and for all, and I'm going to stop driving my wife crazy because for the last three days, I've been driving her up a wall, and I apologize. I apologize publicly (laughs) to Amy Jo Lavalarte for driving her completely up the freaking wall. But that's who I am sometimes. Sometimes I get a little goofy, (laughs) and I get it. It ain't right, and I apologize. But it doesn't change my conviction. Right. Okay, and she's over there muttering in the background that I'm bringing you into it. No, I'm not bringing you into it, babe. I'm just telling you you're right, and I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? But and she's the queen <laughs> of the run-in, by the way. She will run in the podcast whenever the hell she feels like it. She used to get a kick out of it. Yeah. But look, look, you know, I, I, look I at Gorgeous it. George. Look at Gorgeous George, the precursor of anybody that ever wore a robe. But he was yeah. Gorgeous George. Okay, was Stroh believable as Gorgeous George the Third? Yeah. Why was Stroh believable as Gorgeous George the Third? Because he was related. You're right. Legit relative. Makes sense. It, it, yeah, it just wasn't makes original. Sense, you know. It wasn't any to be original. It was family. Okay. Yeah, and, and Look at the it goes back to it was organic. Look at the Von Eric brothers. Every one of those boys was different. They all wore the same gear. They all wore short trunks, knee pads, boots, barefoot on occasion, but they all at one point wore boots. Okay? But what made them different? They all wore velvet jackets at one time. Carrie, yes, in, in honor of David, made them different. They were family, and each each one of those boys had a different personality than the other. Just, just as, as, gonna, as brothers do. If you're going to come do. up with your own personality, God bless. If you're going to come up with your own personality with a similar look, God bless. But if you're right. not, then I'm sorry. Just go to a Comic Con. At least that's respectable. Right. Right. You know, and, and I I have. I have three brothers. I'm actually the oldest of six. I have three brothers and two sisters. And three of, you know, three of us on the boys' side look pretty close. You, like, you can tell we're brothers. And there's one that kind of favors my mom's side of the family. But, yeah, we're all brothers. We all have the same last name. But we're all different. Our personalities are different. Our attitudes mm-hmm. are different. The way we carry mm-hmm. ourselves are different. But we all look the same. If we put on, the, you know, a suit, you could tell, oh, I mean, you know, there are three Morgans over there. You know, I can tell. But they're all, we're all different. Look at, and, look it's, at the and it's Italians. believable. <laughs> look at the Italians that have been in professional wrestling over the years. I do a thing in October every year because Italian American, it's Italian American Heritage Month where I spotlight on a different, a, different, a different wrestler or manager of Italian American descent or Italian descent. They all look similar especially in the 80s and 90s. Oh, they all wore the velvet tracksuit, which, by the way, is either called the Sunday tracksuit or the good tracksuit. Okay? Just a little (laughs) cultural point of reference there. They all wore the same stuff. Fila, Adidas, 
Well, uh, a velour, which I never had a velour tracksuit. Thank God. All right. <laughs> what made him different? I think you would look good in a velour yeah. jacket, man. You should try it. You're out of your mind, bro. Not happening. <laughs> Not happening. Okay. What made them different, even though they were wearing the same thing? They didn't wear the exact same suit. That's number one. Okay. Number two, while they were all part of the same culture, sometimes the same neighborhood, with similar speech patterns, good, bad, or otherwise, with similar facial expressions, good, bad, or otherwise, with similar inflections to their voice, good, bad, or otherwise, they were all distinct. Right. And again, I mean... Carve out your own niche. If you have to rely on piggybacking somebody else to, quote, unquote, get over, my opinion and my advice is get out. You're not good enough. Right. And, 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 and that brings me I, one, one, you know, you, you talked about ripoffs or, or trying to, you know, steal a gimmick or tag off a gimmick. Um one of the guys on my list of bad gimmicks, big bad gimmicks, is Mordecai. You know, he he came as as a, a I guess was supposed to be a light to the Undertaker's darkness, but it just it was almost too close to the Undertaker. This is much much better as Kevin Thorne, so much of better. Of course, you know because it it was relatable. It was it was real and it was something he could relate to. How many demons and demigods and, and uh, macabre figures and uh, horror movie characters are we going to see before it becomes stupid? New right. Flash, it's already stupid. It's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know, it just stupid. wasn't believable. No. Oh, I, like I, said, I, gonna, love, I love, I love this come out Kevin the, Thorne. I'm going to come out dressed up as uh, as this uh, movie character. That's awesome. Why is it you? What do you add to it? I don't know. Right. Hey, stop. Stop. <laughs> Give me a case yeah, in point. Just, yeah. Sid Udy. Before he was Sid Justice. Before he was Sid Vicious. He was Lord Humongous with a hockey yep. mask. That you can buy at any sporting goods store. You can buy at any sporting goods store for twelve dollars at that time. What made him different? He didn't come out there with a with a chainsaw going, Oh, I'm Jason. No, you're not. He went out there as Lord Humongous. Who was actually a a melding of the Jason character, uh the Mad Max genre. But it was still his own. It was still Sid. Right, he made it his own. Yeah. Yeah. He should yeah, Like you said, you know, we you know we go back to, to earlier. We talked about Terry Taylor. You know, he, he took that that god awful gimmick that they gave him, and almost almost pulled it off and made it work. You know, because Terry Taylor, Steve Lombardi, Terry Taylor, he's going Steve to be... Lombardi did whatever they told him to do. He took a ripped-up <laughs> Yankees T-shirt and a pair of dirty jeans, 
and made a character out of it that no one else could ever replicate. Nope. Okay. He and he made did, it work. He did a baseball gimmick that was that others have done similar things to, and I've worked with them and worked for them, and they've done very well on their own as the as the Furies and the Baseball Furies, and they did that similar gimmick that was presented in the Warriors, but each one was unique. Right. Okay. Abe Knuckleball Schwartz was unique. <laughs> was it was it very unique. best persona? Was it his best persona? No. Take a look at another gimmick that didn't get over. The goon. So, oh, and two other cowboys. Uh, the Owen brothers. He, yep. He, yeah, that, that's on my list. The goon is on my list. <laughs> and again, the, the Irwins were part of that same cowboy outlaw larger subgroup. But they were the Irwins. They were the long riders. You didn't mistake the Irwins for anybody else. Let's take a look at the pretty boys who all dressed real similar. The Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, the Fabulous Ones, the Midnight Later slash The Rockers, the Fantastics. I'm saying the Fantastics. You can't, you can't exclude the Fantastics. <laughs> okay. They all dressed in that same 80s rock and roll pretty boy style. Could you mistake one for the other? No, absolutely not. Why? But would would but because they were all different, and you would pay to go see all of them on any given night. They could all and be on dressed, the same card together. Which two teams dressed the closest? Which two teams wow. dressed the closest? I'll tell you who they are, but I want to see if you know. I, I almost want to say the Rock and Roll Express and the Rockers. Yes, because it was Vern's idea to try to to push these kids. By Vern had an idea to, to to rip off the rock and rolls gimmick, but Sean and Marty didn't. They were a different type of worker. They were almost the same clothes. Right. Right down to the bandanas, just about the same. But the rockers could never be mistaken for the Rock and Roll Express. Okay. I mean, it's just these are just the things that. That that upset me, infuriate me, that, that just make me lose. To, to quote Andy Bernard from The Office, lose my freaking mind. Because <laughs> I it's, love it's The not, Office. <laughs> it's not right. Okay, it's not right. And then what what do people do nowadays? Rather than acknowledge and try to and try to explain the differences as we're doing on this podcast, no, they're quick to tell you to shut up. They're quick to tell you, oh, you're wrong. They're quick to tell you, uh, no, uh, no, it's not, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Well, the more you give those snap reactions to being called out, or not even called out, to being questioned, the more the truth comes out that it is. Okay? I mean, it's, it's just, it's plain and simple. Mario Mancini could never be mistaken for Jimmy Powers. Paul Roma <laughs> could never be mistaken for Dominic Danucci. Dominic Danucci could never be mistaken for Bruno San Martino. Why? Right. They're all Italians. They're all different. Every last one of them is different. Okay? Tony D'Angelo, who I knew as a rookie coming up in Chicago, and I'm not going to expose his real name. 
Tony D'Angelo and the <laughs> Slambinos. Dressed real similar. Okay? But Tony D'Angelo, to his credit, is carving out his own persona. A.J. Genazzo and Frankie Chiazzo were the original Slambinos. They were Howard Brody's creation, God rest his soul. They were the best at that inner city, old neighborhood, tough guy gimmick. And I'll say it to my, I've managed the Slambinos, and I'll say it to my dying day. Frankie and A.J. were the quintessential Italian bad boys. Did they get the credit that they deserved? No, they don't. Why? Because they were never signed. Okay, will I ever get the credit that I deserve? Probably not. Why? Because I'm not signed and I'm not going to be signed. I'm going to be 56 years old and I'm not so in the clouds that I will, that I refuse to believe that, oh, someday they're going to sign me. When? When I'm 70? <laughs> but when day comes that I go from this realm, this reality, to the next, you're going to take a look at me. You're going to take a look at my pictures. You're going to take a look at my work. And you're going to say, that was Chaz Moretti. No one else like him. And, and there will never be another one like him. Because I've worked my ass off worldwide to make sure that the people are entertained and to make sure that this natural extension of the, the, the darker part of my personality that I choose to repress on a daily basis and is allowed to, to flourish in the world of professional wrestling is just that, the natural extension of me. Regardless of what I wear, I can go out there in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. I'm still Chaz Murray. Right. Everybody and their brother wears sunglasses. Why do I wear sunglasses? You want me to tell you? I'll tell you exactly why I wear sunglasses. I can't focus my eyes when I'm cutting a promo. My eyes wander. They flutter from side to side. As a rookie, I was cutting promos without glasses, and my eyes would flutter. And I'd have to do two or three takes and really stare at the camera, and it looked stupid. I put a pair of sunglasses on, I'm one take, one minute promo about anything. And you don't know, my eyes are still fluttering. 13 years later, if you were to take a look under my glasses, my eyes are moving from side to side. It's just a, it's just a, <laughs> a, a, physical, a physical tick of mine that my eyes move from side to side while right. I'm talking. Okay. But that's why I wear sunglasses. Do I need to wear sunglasses out there to still be Chaz Marani? No. But no. I do if I want to make my promos better than they would be normally. When I got into this business, I was 43 years old, 325 sloppy pounds, coming out of a very bad marriage and a very bad divorce, and I had two opportunities. Opportunity one, be a very mediocre indie wrestler and go nowhere. Opportunity number two, be an original style manager. That's why I don't call myself a manager. I call myself an agent, okay? I represent my clients like any other agent would represent any other sporting or cultural figure. But I, I do it to a degree where I don't care what it takes to win. I'm going to win. Have I taken beatings? Yeah, I've taken beatings. Will I uh, shy away from taking another beating? Probably not. But it's me. Like me or hate me. You think I'm a great guy, you think I'm a douchebag, you cannot deny the fact that I have an original personality, an original look. And that's it. That's enough of talking about me. 
I'm bored with the subject. <laughs> and, and you know what? Yeah, I'll, never, I'll probably probably never talk about this publicly. And I know I'm never going to talk about this in my house again because – and I'm going to thank you, Howard. And I would thank Stro if he was hosting the show and let me spout off like this. You've given me the opportunity to get it all out without dismissing me. No, brother. Anytime, dude. Anytime. I'm, I'm glad we could finally hook up and, and you know, and, and do it's this thing to together. The right? matter. I'm not just I'm not just pontificating. It's germane to the subject matter. Good gimmicks, bad gimmicks. Chaz Moretti as a wrestler is a bad gimmick. Okay. Do I know how to bump? Yeah. Am I trained? Yeah. Do I look better as a as a wrestler as I do as a manager? Absolutely not. I'm stiff. I'm slow. I'm plotting. I look terrible. Why have I wrestled occasional matches? Because it makes sense to the storyline. It's believable. Right. But I'm also, quote, unquote, a civilian. Get me on the microphone. I can talk right, to you but- in the building. Right, and, and and that's just you know that's you know Dusty Rhodes talked about it, you know Bill Watts talked about it in, in a lot of the interviews that I listened to them. That that's that's the job, you know, not not only the, you know managers or or whatnot, but even the performers. You need to talk these people, the fans, into the building. Give them a reason to to go. They like said whether they love you or hate you, whether you know whether they want to shake your hand or or slap you on the back of the head. Whatever you got to do to get them into the building, that's that's what you need to do. You know, each and every night, talk to them, talk them into the building, and then when when you're in the building, now I'm going to tell my story. And if part of my story is, you know, I I have to get involved in a wrestling match because you know maybe I've taken a couple of liberties, you know, with, with, with another guy. Now he wants to have a tag team, and he wants me as, as on the other side as an opponent or whatever or that furthers the storyline. That's Here, part I'm managing, of, you know, I'm managing that, in England last October for Fightmare. I'm at ringside managing in England. They don't know me from Adam. They didn't forget me after I left. Okay. Vince McMahon used to pay managers to do that very thing. Then he decided to, hmm, well, The Rock can talk. Stone Cold can talk. Hulk Hogan can talk. Superstar Billy Graham can talk. Gee, Macho Man can talk. Anybody can talk. Nonsense. Those yeah, men no. were unique. They were special. So what is he going to do? He goes and trains his kids and forces them to cut these asinine promos that are all prescripted and look stupid because they don't know how to do it. But there's a number of them that would be more over more popular, more believable, and more fearsome if they had a mouthpiece with them. Exactly. You know, and, and I heard um, Jim Cornette talk about it. And, you know, obviously Jim Cornette's love for Bobby Eaton is probably second to none. I mean, I love Bobby Eaton. I think he's a hell of a performer. He's great in the ring. You know, I don't care who he's against. You know, he, he he's going to make you look good. But he said Bobby's problem was he couldn't talk. He well, could perform yeah. night after let's, night let's and, and give you a thousand at, percent, but he, he can't talk. Let's take a look at Bobby's history a little bit. Team with Nick Gullis, terrible, terrible team. Nick Gullis couldn't wrestle. He was daddy's boy, but regardless, terrible. Right. 
Bobby and Dennis Condry, would you want to buy a ticket listening? If you if they said, Howard, the only reason to buy a ticket is based on what these guys say to you, would you spend 10 bucks to see Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry? I wouldn't spend 10 cents to go hear them talk. Oh, but put Jimmy Cornette with them and know what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, not only do I want to kill the Midnight Express, but I want to strangle Jim Cornette, too. Did did the Horseman, or Buddy Landell, for that reason, need James J. Dillon? Nope. But why did James J. Dillon work? Why did he work with that group? Because they were the very best in the business at the time, all champions. Okay. So J.J. was the natural extension as the administrator, as the the man to reiterate and to emphasize what Rick and Tully and Arn and Barry and Lex were all saying. Okay. Right. Lex well, was a great out, physical specimen. When, when... Right. With Buddy Landell. God. But what was his angle yeah. with Buddy Buddy could talk. What was his angle with Buddy Landell? Buddy Landell was an up-and-comer, the next nature boy. J.J.'s right. strength and J.J.'s resilience as a manager was the fact that he reiterated what you were already starting to believe. Right. Why did Gary Hart Even when J.J. Well? first got with – well, when, when, when J.J. Dillon first got with Tully Blanchard, he wasn't – Tully's manager, he was the executive to Tully Blanchard Enterprises, something Correct. far bigger than Tully Blanchard himself. He wasn't Tully's manager, Correct. but he, he could speak on his behalf because he was an executive. And exactly. it worked. Exactly. But he was there to reiterate what you were already starting to believe. Right. <laughs> Gary Hart, probably the most underrated, greatest manager of all time. Okay. Gary Hart worked with Kendo Nagasaki. He worked with Buddha. He worked with, uh, yeah, he worked with Kendo Nagasaki. He worked with Muda. He worked with Muda's uncle. Uh, he worked with the one-man gang. He worked with guys that either said Abdullah the Butcher. He worked with guys that either said nothing or said very little. And what was Gary Durr right. to do? Gary Durr was emphasized the fact that these men were believable killers, either monsters or ninjas or other types of killing machines. That was Gary's strength as a manager. I mean, here, yes, Arnold I, Scullin, I, I do believe yet. Arnold Scullin. Open shirt, laser shoot. Why did he manage Bernal? Because Bernal couldn't talk. Why did he manage Backlund? Because Backlund was boring as hell. Well, what did Arnold do for them? He was a baby-faced manager. Arnold, other than this, other than throwing in the towel in Madison Square Garden for Backlund, Arnold never got involved in a match. Why? He didn't need to. Arnold was just there to reiterate that the good guys had someone watching their back. Right. Yeah, getting back to Bruno, as great as he was as a performer and world champion, 
I didn't like him even on commentary because he was so he boring. He was boring. He, could, again, he could not. He could not talk. Again, let's take a look at Paulie dangerously. I don't like him as Paul Heyman. I think he lost a lot of mystique using his real name and doing what he's doing now. He lost a lot of mystique. Okay, but let's take a look at Paul E. Dangerously, 1987. Paul E. Dangerously wore a uh, double-breasted suit that you could get anywhere. Carried around that brick phone that nobody else did. <laughs> looked like Michael phone. Keaton, which is why he got his. Uh, looked like Michael Keaton, which is how he got his name. So his look was very. I won't say commonplace, but it was very mainstream. But what separated Paulie Dangerously? Paulie Dangerously made you believe that he was this rich, stuck-up yuppie who would do anything to get his men over. And who does he come out with first? Dennis Condry and Randy Rose. Boring one and boring two on the microphone. And the ring, <laughs> phenomenal. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And what happens? It, it- and who would have thought that, you know, a magic a second Jimmy Cornette Midnight baby Express face. would have worked? They turned mid. They turned Jim Cornette babyface for the first time in his career, and Jim didn't change anything. All he did is the same heel nonsense that he always did, but he did it against other heels. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's take a look at the guys in the seventies that all wore the same frilly shirted, big tie tuxedo. Dr. Ken Rainey, Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, who was out. There were no, Paul Jones. There were a number of guys that wore that same crushed velvet, god awful colored tuxedo. They were all different. Dr. Ken Rainey managed one tag team. Different guys under those hoods, but one tag team. The Medics. Why? Because a doctor with two orderlies that were badasses made sense. Lord Alfred Hayes managed guys that couldn't talk for anything. Okay? Bob Remus under a mask, Super Destroyer, Mark II. The original Super Destroyer. Because he brought them in. He was a, a, a he was an English lord that brought them in. And if you remember correctly, and I do because I'm I'm that much of a nerd, uh Super Destroyer Mark II was billed from the island of Gibraltar which at the time was a British colony. So it made sense. Right. No, yeah, again, again it was it was believable. Mm-hmm. That's all. You know, is, is there going to be are there going to be ten guys wearing uh, shiny jackets sure there are. But carve out your own personality, boys. Can you get your own poses? Yep. I know there's only seven different manager poses, and they all look stupid, but try something different. And, and, yeah, and, and, and make it yours. The dumbest pose of all, my wife hates it, is called the Jesus Christ, where both your arms are out and your head is up like you're looking to the heavens. What the hell are you looking for? <laughs> the dumbest pose ever. Have I done it? Yeah, I've done it. Is it stupid? Yeah, it's stupid. Do I do it all the time now? No, <laughs> because you know what? I've evolved. As a persona. It's dumb as hell. Go on my Facebook. They're there. Look at my old photos. They're there. They look stupid. But, you know, 
why do I why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Because I love it. Why am I fiercely protective of my gimmick? Because I can be. I broke my ass for 13 years perfecting it in four different incarnations. Because it's yours. Because at the end of the day, it's yours. Right. And, you know, we tend to protect what's ours, whether it's our gimmick, you know, our wives, our home, whatever it is, we protect it. You look at the Latino world order. God, how many Latino wrestlers have there been? 50? Over the years? All wearing, at one time, all wearing sombreros. All wearing the, 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 the silver boots that El Santo wore, all wearing the same long style tights. But again, it's believable. It's freaking believable. Right. I mean, Manny Fernandez came out in a sombrero and a pair of chaps because it was believable. And where was he wrestling? Texas. Right on the right. border for Joe Blanchard. Believable. Okay. Chavo Sr., a pair of trunks and a pair of boots and knee pads. Wore that big-ass sombrero. So did Hector. So did Mondo. Eddie didn't. Eddie didn't need to. Eddie just took off his mask. El Bracero from the old WWA. Right? All these guys wore a similar look. Pepper Gomez, right down to the sombrero. Tito Santana, again. Believable, all of them, because they were all original. Oh, yeah, all of them. That, that's all I'm preaching, Howard. That's all I'm preaching is, you know, for you were talking about I'm good gimmicks it, and brother. bad gimmicks. I'm loving it. In my opinion, yeah, what makes no, a good I, gimmick, what separates a good gimmick from a bad gimmick? Originality and believability. Absolutely. And don't, you know, Absolutely. That's, that's just it. That's just it. You know, and I do have one. Yeah, do I have aspirations okay. of being a full-time promoter? Hell no. I wouldn't be a full-time promoter if if you put a gun to my head and said, this is it. You're either a promoter or you're going <laughs> to die. Well, happy trails. I'm dead. <laughs> uh, Bill, Bill Watts talked about that being, a, you know, a wrestling promoter. You know, when he was coming up in the, in the Mid-South and, you know, trying to, to get his promotion kind of off the ground and started and you know he said you you know you make you know a million dollars in the world of professional wrestling you start with two million (laughs) and you wind up with a million because you're a promoter because of all the money that you're laying out and you know everybody has these big aspirations and you know everybody thinks they can be a promoter but you can't you got to know your limitations you got to know your limitations you got to know what you know what you can and can't do I mean, I'm not built for it. You know, I'm going to give my shout-out for tonight. July 28th, Tinley Park Convention Center, WAW comes to North America and presents a night to remember. Okay? The co-main events are Zach Zodiac defending the WAW world title against Thomas Latimer, the first-time-ever match. Camille defends the NWA world women's title for the first time ever against Soraya Knight. WAW North American... Heavyweight women's and tag team champions will be crowned that night. Greg Anthony defends his newly won AIWF world title. Uh, The show is going to be phenomenal. It's on a Friday night, July 28th. Tickets are for sale on Eventbrite, and they're reasonably priced. VIP with the meet and greet is $50. Uh, That's the first four rows guaranteed. Ringside is $25, and that's the next four rows guaranteed. 
and in general emission are 15. You take a look at the lineup, you take a look at the card itself, and it's well worth the price of admission. So I encourage anybody within the area, within the Chicago area, the surrounding Midwest region, or if you want to travel to the show, there's a hotel connected to the convention center called the Evan Hotel. Please buy a ticket, come out, and be a part of history. That's my shout-out for good tonight. Good stuff, good stuff. And, and actually, I was I was quickly through the Chicago area earlier this week. I went to Peru, Illinois, to go visit a store that I had to make sure was ready to open. Um, and, you know, I just didn't have enough time. I was going to hit you up, but I, I didn't. But all my – and I'm sure I'm going to be through Chicago, you know, many, many more times before, you know, I, you know, I wrap my, my career up, but I definitely want to oh, hit you up when I'm out there and I have a little bit more free time and, you know, we can kind of get together and, you know, um, just hang out for a little bit. And, but, you know, this has been a really great, great night, man. I appreciate your time. Um, oh, thanks for coming pleasure. on and I'm glad we were finally able, able to hook this thing up with, I know between our schedules, you know, we've had conflicting schedules and, Oh, it's been Sometimes crazy. Sometimes I haven't been able to make it. You haven't been yet. So, but, you know, listen, yeah, man, you know, crazy. I hope to have you back next Thursday as long as your schedule permits, man. It's been a good time. I really Absolutely. did enjoy it. I hope everybody out there listening had a good time. Um, again, just, you know, pray for Stro Maestro. Again, as I said at the beginning of the oh, program, you know, he did take a, a couple of steps. I don't know if you heard it. Um, I heard from I heard the uh, beginning. Yeah, yeah, I heard it at the beginning. He took about 20 steps, which is fantastic, you know. That's and, great. Yeah, Stro you know, for was people supposed to appear there, 20... for... Yeah, he was supposed to appear yeah. for us at a night to remember, but, you know, obviously the with his medical circumstances, that's not going to happen. But, you know, we look forward to seeing Stro up and around and, and back to his normal self again. Absolutely. And, you know, people say, oh, well, it's 20 steps. Well, you know, that, that 20 steps might have well been a mile to some people because, you know, he's come – so far, you know, and he's still got a little, you know, a little long road ahead of him, but again, we'll continue to pray for him. Stro, we miss you, man. You know, listen, I, I need you back here, man. You know, uh, every, everybody thinks, oh, man, you know, it's great. You know, you do, and listen, I'm having a great time doing WCW Retro. I, you know, I wouldn't really trade yeah, it for it's anything. It's Stro show. Um, it's not our it, show. It's it, right. It, it's it's Stro show, and it's not easy, man. I'm getting a better appreciation for what he goes through to, to prep, you know, you know, each and every week, plus all his other commitments that he's got going on. I mean, I work a full-time job, you know, yeah, on top of I this. Know. And this is, here. this is almost like a reg- another full-time job, you know. And Yeah, But, again, I, I don't say it begrudgingly, but, you know, this is Stro Show. We are just filling in and doing the very best we can to bring you, a, you know, a, a quality podcast, you know, in his absence. And, you know, he will be back, you know, hopefully sooner than later. But, you know, Stro, when you're ready, brother. Come on back, man. You know, take the control. You know, and we, you know, we would love to hear from you, brother. But you know, again, just Definitely. continue to pray for him, and, and you know, hope that you know everything is is you know continue on the upswing for him. Um, yeah. But Definitely. John, right before you go, just that, that that plug one more time for your show. Give me the dates and, and location again. Uh, July twenty eighth, Tilney Park Convention Center, Tilney Park, Illinois. WAW and WAW North America presents a night to remember. Tickets are available at eventbrite.com. Uh, just look up a night to remember on Eventbrite, and you'll get a link to the tickets there. Um, also, tickets are available through me or through the Sinister Minister of Fear, who's uh, who's also making his return to uh, the professional wrestling scene after 30 years away. 
and the Sinister Minister was Buddy Roberts' partner in the old Chicago Freebirds uh, during the Bob Luce days. So shout out to the Sinister oh, Minister. Wow. And uh, you can get tickets if you're in the area and you want to get hard tickets, you can get them through us, uh, or you can get them on Eventbrite. And then we look forward to having people join us. Great. Again, Chai, thank you for your time. We do appreciate it. It's been a great show. And like I said, you know, you're welcome back any any Thursday night we're on. I, you know, I'd be happy to have you on, and hopefully we can do this more often until Stroh gets back. Well, I appreciate it, Howard. Thank you. Not a problem. Listen, everybody have a great night, and, you know, don't forget to check out In the Room Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock, and then we'll be right back here next week on WCW Retro um, Thursday night starting at 9 o'clock. Everybody have a great night. We love you, and Stro, we're praying for you, brother. Everybody have a great night. Absolutely. Take care, guys.